the cosmic void. Onward it stretches into infinity, matched in depth and vastness by but one thing, the human imagination. We present now a story from this, the greater of two endless realms. Join us as we enter a gate beyond. As the last days of fall dissolve into winter, this week we present a story of a species of plant life that refuses to die. Taken from the collection Autumn Cthulhu, edited by Mike Davis, copyright 2016, this is The Black Azalea by Wendy N. Wagner. Graham had planted the azalea in the shade of an elm tree, and when Dutch elm disease had taken over the old tree, the sun had burned the green from the bush's leaves. It had given up one last sad burst of purple blossoms this past spring, and now it stood withered and skeletal, the bark of its limbs dry and gray. Graham would have mourned the azalea's passing if he had lived to see it. Candace put down her coffee cup and reached for the clippers. This week might well be the last good weather of the year, today the last sunshine until spring. When she stood at the kitchen window watching the endless gray sift down over the garden, she would be glad that she had gotten rid of this dead thing. She made her slow way across the backyard, feeling the long night on the couch in her hip. She would have to go back to her bed someday but even the company of her old tomcat couldn't blot out how large and cold the bed was without her husband. The whole house stretched wide around her when she tried to sleep, the wood and cement as lost without Graham as she was. He had practically rebuilt the little cottage over the years since they'd bought the place. Her counselor said that she ought to be glad she lived inside Graham's legacy. Candace could not find any gladness within her. Graham was gone, that was all. Others had tried to make death something meaningful, but the absurd nothing of it could not be denied. He chopped at the gray limbs. Closer to the trunk of the shrub, she found live wood, but it would only be a matter of time before it, too, withered. The whole plant felt dry to the touch, crisp, brittle. But when she switched to the hacksaw, she began breaking down the main trunk. The blade stuck, gummed up. He yanked it free with some difficulty. He had to pull away. God, what a stink. Nose crinkled, she examined the cut, which reeked of old drains and a hint of fish. Some kind of blight, probably. It was a good thing she decided to get rid of it. She couldn't risk the rhododendrons catching this. The azalea toppled slowly over, the sere leaves and branches crunching as they settled. Candace frowned at the stump. Its heartwood was black, damp, and strangely juicy. She would have to dig it up, all of it. Even the roots had to come out of the ground. Whatever was wrong with it, she didn't want it in the rest of the garden. She rubbed the small of her back for a moment, steeling herself to go get the shovel from the shed. It was pleasant out here in the sunshine, the air a little crisp and mellow with morning wood smoke. With a soft sequence of crunching, a yellow leaf tumbled through the greenery around her and settled onto the grass. Autumn had taken hold of the world around her, and would soon make inroads into her backyard. A small black spider darted up on the leaf and hesitated on it for a moment before racing onward. It was the first spider that she'd seen all day. 
Perhaps it was just autumn weather urging the insects into their winter hiding spots, but Candace found their absence strangely lonely. She got to her feet and made her way into the shed. That evening, after some small excuse of a meal, Candace stood at the kitchen sink. The glow of the house and porch lights illuminated enough of the garden beyond to make the after-dinner washing just this side of monotonous. The crisp boxwood borders of her vegetable patch stood straight and sober, lending a sense of prosperity to the late-season tomatoes and pumpkins. At the edge of the lit area, the hole where she dug out the azalea could just be seen, the dark, broken-toothed mouth in the soil. Tomorrow she'd fill it in. It would be all too easy to step into a hole like that and break her leg. After all, she lived alone now. Who would come looking for her if she laid out there, the bones snapped enough through the skin, and the blood seeping into the cold clay earth? Enoch the cat couldn't dial 911. She had to look out for herself these days. She had to be careful. Even the cutting board felt dangerous in her grip, slippery and heavy and just the size to crush a fragile toe. Everything in the whole house could be a threat to an aging widow like herself. The tile floor, so slick when wet, the step down into the living room that was always in the shadows. The world was a vicious, ugly place for a woman alone. She had forgotten that after all of these years of marriage. Candace put the cutting board into the dish drainer and then wiped down the counter. She couldn't help looking outside. The hole looked bigger, darker. She'd fill it in tomorrow, first thing. She and Enoch went outside as soon as they'd finished their breakfasts, brown kibble for both of them. Graham had eschewed cereal for hot breakfasts covering every food group, and now Candace found it a relief to simply wash her one bowl and spoon and leave the kitchen behind. It somehow seemed more virtuous to eat plain oat flakes and seeds. Given her family history with and late midlife status, she should try to eat light. Even Enoch was on reduced calorie chow nowadays. She stroked to the big orange Tom's back. Healthy food and exercise, that's what we want, right, cat? The cat rubbed his cheek against her shin and then trotted off to sniff the nearest boxwood. Candace watched him a second, then slipped on her gloves and marched toward the hole. She had a bag of potting soil in the shed that might be big enough to fill the pit, but she wasn't quite sure. The cat gave a low growl. Candace turned to look at him. His gaze was fixed on the land beyond the vegetables, his posture very stiff. You hear something, buddy? Got a rat? He heard nothing, but cats were so much more sensitive to tiny sounds and smells. He'd always admired them for that. To her, the garden was all peace today, the shrubs still and graceful in the cool, dry morning. A few more golden leaves had fallen off the neighbor's maple tree, adding spots of guilt throughout the yard. Candace frowned. The Shasta daisies to the left of the azalea's hole sagged, the green toothy leaves hanging limp. She knelt beside them and covered her nose. The fish and mildew stink had spread, and the basis of the daisy's leaves had turned black where they came up from the ground. She got to her feet. This was more serious than one azalea plant. This was something nasty, something that affected a wide variety of plants, a disease that could spread beyond her own property line. He needed to call the extension office right away. The thought of such a seriously contagious plant disease made her sick. Candace had poured a great deal of effort into the garden. Graham had purchased a few specimens, but by and large they'd agreed that the house was his child and the garden hers. 
After long days at work, they'd each needed some kind of outlet. The garden was hers, her ever-expanding project, her art. Enoch squeezed past her as she pushed through the French doors. She looked up the number for the university extension office and called it immediately. After some runaround with the automated system, she found a soft-voiced man who listened to her description of the rotten plants with quiet interest. It's not like anything I've heard of. Do you have any idea how much of the area is being affected right now? Candace reached for the yard stick, tucked beside the broom in the pantry. I can measure right now. I'm on my cell phone. The smell was strong now. She didn't know how she'd missed it before. Its stomach-churning waves rolled out across the yard. No breeze lightened the heavy blanket of stench. God, that stinks. What's that? She'd almost forgotten that the extension agent listening patiently on the other end of the line. She wasn't in the office anymore with a hold button and a secretary to field calls. She was retired. He covered her nose with her free hand. The smell has definitely gotten worse. She knelt beside the hole, studying the ground. Some of the grass around the initial site shows the same mottling as the daisies. Grass, daisies, azaleas. It's odd to find a disease that affects such a wide range of species. That's what I thought, too. Candace nudged a clump of blackening dandelions with her fingertip. Their leaves felt damp somehow. As if their internal juices seeped out of their pores, the black blight pushing their innards out to make room for itself. Dandelions, too. Plants almost feel like they're bleeding. She scrubbed her hand on her pants. What if this was some kind of plant Ebola? Could something like that spread to animals? As if he read her mind, the agent, uh, Michael, that's how he had introduced himself, warned, If you touch anything, you should probably wash with an antibacterial soap. Could it make me sick? There was a second's hesitation before he answered. I'm almost positive you'll be fine, but you wouldn't want to spread this to any of your other plants. She could hear his keyboard clattering in the background. Look, I can't get out of the office today, but first thing tomorrow morning, I want to stop by and take samples. Can I get your address? Candace passed along the information. He drew it out, giving a few relevant landmarks and a good description of the house. But when she finished, she couldn't think of anything else to ask or say. He held the phone tight to her ear, listening hard. The keyboard had gone quiet. Candace, I don't want you to be nervous, but could you stay out of your garden for the rest of the day? It's best to be cautious if we don't know what we're dealing with. He backed into the house, closing the French doors in front of her. Already the garden looked darker, the hole in the ground deeper and wider. Absolutely. He couldn't imagine going back out there. Michael signed off. Candace hung up, but stayed at the French doors, her gaze fixed on the diseased patch in the garden. She didn't want to turn her back on it, even if she was safely inside. Enoch thudded his head against her shin. She had left the yardstick outside, she realized. She could see it laying like a bridge across the hole that she'd dug when she pulled up the azalea. She'd been in an awful hurry to get away from the nastiness out there. Enoch stood on his hind legs, pressing his head into her palm. He rubbed his plush fur. Candace snapped the deadbolt shut with a satisfying thunk. I'm going to leave the damn thing outside, she told the cat. I can just buy a new one. When Candace awoke with a stiff neck and a dry mouth, the sound was off on the TV as a man in a suit ran out onto a black and white highway. 
he couldn't quite remember what he was shouting at the cars, no matter how famous the line. He'd never had a memory for movie quotes. That had been Graham's forte. The thought had an unexpected sting. These little bursts of pain always took her by surprise. She had expected Graham's death to be difficult but manageable. She had gone into his illness knowing that it was irrevocable. It had taken Graham six months to die, and his disease had progressed utterly without surprises, every advance along the way forecasted and scheduled like a stop on a train's timetable. Ride to the Pancreatic Cancer Express. Next stop, metastasis. Final destination, death. The end screen rolled on Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and she turned off the TV, blinking away tears. Her hip complained as she trudged out into the den. From her left, the cat chirped a little greeting but did not get up from his bed in the laundry basket. She had no idea when the extension agent would arrive. He kept checking her phone as she went through her morning routine, jumped when it jangled with a text from the man. Almost there. He nearly ran to the bathroom to brush her teeth. The doorbell rang before she was done. She hurriedly cupped water into her mouth and spat a plume of red-stained foam. Candace wiped her mouth onto the back of her hand, frowning at the sink. He brushed it too roughly, she supposed. She'd been in a hurry. The doorbell rang again. This time she did run, and was out of breath when she flung open the door. The extension agent stood on the stoop with his phone out, his eyebrows knit above his glasses. In his other hand, he held a white plastic case that reminded her strongly of her father's fishing tackle box. The agent wasn't quite young enough to be her son, or at least she'd like to think that he wasn't. His lightweight denim jacket was much smarter than she'd expected a horticulturist to wear. He slipped his phone into his jacket pocket and put out a hand. Uh, Dr. Michael Gutierrez, OSU Extension Office. Candace Moore. Come in, Mr. Gutierrez, please. He led him through the kitchen. Would you like a cup of coffee? Tea? Anything? Nope. He raised the almost tackle box. I'm pretty eager to get these samples taken. The stuff is right out these doors. Candace reached for the deadbolt's latch and paused. The yardstick's gone. Yardstick? I used it yesterday to measure the extent of the diseased area, and I left it out there. Couldn't make myself go back out to get it. She twisted open the latch, although she realized that she had no desire to go into the stench of her yard. Breakfast cereal turned in her stomach. The plants looked worse today. Even from the doorway, the hole that the yardstick had bridged looked dark and moist, the grass around it subduing into strings of black slime. Michael put his hand on the doorknob. We'll get to the bottom of this. He let him lead the way. Yesterday on the phone, she had thought that the agent's arrival would be comforting. His years of field experience and collection of scientific gear would be more than a match for the problems of her small garden, and she would rest easily, knowing that she turned over the problem to the authorities. Perhaps waking up to apocalyptic sci-fi had put her in a dispirited mood, or perhaps it was the agent's young face and stylish jacket. He couldn't explain the listless, hopeless feeling that she had, following this young man of science toward the black hole that she'd dug in her yard. Hey, the yardstick's right here, he called, squatting beside the pit. At the bottom of the hole. She stooped beside him. That didn't fit inside the hole yesterday. The hole wasn't even two feet across. He gave her a kind look. Well, it's here. You'll be glad not to have to buy another. 
he didn't believe her. He folded her arms across her chest. How could he not believe her? Mr. Gutierrez, I'm not a senile old lady yet. I made very careful measurements yesterday. That hole has gotten bigger. He used a pair of tweezers to harvest a few blades of grass. You're sure about that? Yes. An idea struck her. Wait, if I didn't get all of the azalea's roots out of the ground and this black stuff dissolved them, would that have caused substance in the ground? I mean, if the grass is turning into goo, maybe it can do the same to underground plant materials. He popped the cap on his plastic tube and looked up at her, his face thoughtful. I suppose so, but... What? But I don't like the thought very much, do you? The roots of plants hold an awful lot of soil in place, especially up here in the West Hills. Could you imagine the kind of effect that would have on the neighborhoods around here? Candace folded her arms around herself. Even through her cardigan, the morning breeze had teeth. She couldn't bring herself to answer the man. The yard settled into a tense silence around them, the squirrels and birds as hushed as she was. I haven't seen any insects out here this morning, Michael mused. Have you used any pesticides out here recently? You asked me that yesterday. Candace looked around her. No birds perched on the fence. No big orb weaver spiders spun in the rose bushes, even though autumn was their season. Even the pair of squirrels who nested in the maple tree were not to be seen. I'm strictly organic. Michael stood up. He snapped a few photos with his cell phone. I'm going to go back to the office and run some tests on the plant and soil material that I just gathered. It may be a few days until I have anything solid to report. Candace shook his hand. Some of her old faith had returned while they'd been out here. He'd wound up taking her seriously after all. The sooner the better. I don't like to think of this spreading. They walked toward the French doors. Nor do I, Michael agreed. Candace opened the door for him. Enoch shot past the agent's feet, an orange blur. In an instant, he was up and over the back fence. Enoch! But of course, he didn't come back. He always did what he wished. He refocused her attention on the extension agent, who had already made it halfway to the front door. He moved like a man pushing toward an exciting achievement, waving a brusque goodbye on the porch step and then rushing to his car. She could imagine him bursting into the shabby extension office, eager to show his colleagues something so new that there was no Latin name for it. She had been like that once before, too, the hot dog of the office, but she'd put such things behind her when she'd left her career to tend to her terminally ill husband. It had seemed right at the time, the only respectful way to end 38 years of marriage. Now she wondered if perhaps that she would have tried harder to keep her job. Standing alone in this house, watching the leaves float down to cover their crushed place where Michael had parked, he thought of her career and her work friends and the fresh coffee scent of her office. It tugged something inside her like a strained muscle. Graham's cancer had cut off her life, too. He could reclaim it with effort, but she wasn't sure that she had the energy to rebuild like that. Even just worrying about this crisis in the garden had drained her. She wanted nothing more than a cup of tea and then a long nap with the cat. Candace went to the back door and called for the creature. He rarely strayed from the yard, but there was no sign of him. The big tomcat didn't even meow in response. The heavy silence that she and Michael had noticed continued on. No, it wasn't completely silent. Somewhere in the very distance she could hear a metallic clinging, very high-pitched, almost a ping. 
It reminded her of the sound that the train tracks made after a heavy freight train had passed by, metal winding down after some enormous stress. He rarely heard the train from the office. It must be a massive freight. He closed the door and went back inside, too tired to keep calling for Enoch. Well, that's a dumb thing, Miss Lunch. He would appreciate dinner the better for missing it. Candace slept much too long. If her cell hadn't rung, she might have kept dreaming, too. But the steady chirping brought her up out of her dreamless dark. She laid there waiting for the call to go to voicemail, uncertain at first where she was. It had been two months since she had tried to sleep in the bedroom, coming in only to drop off and pick up laundry, and in the deep shadows of the sunset, the room was unfamiliar. The voicemail notification beeped once, twice, lighting the nightstand to an electronic blue. She made herself sit up. Gandis, the message began, in Michael Gutierrez's voice, caught with excitement and much too loud for just waking ears. I've run some preliminary tests, and the samples I took show none of the markets for any known bacterial or viral plant disease. This is something entirely new. Candace rubbed at the back of her head and yawned. She was still so tired. Michael wasn't tired, though. After all, he'd made the scientific discovery of a lifetime. He wasn't just excited, he was hungry. This blackening disease could write his ticket out of the boring university extension office and into some first-rate research facility. I have to take some more samples, more pictures. I'm bringing the whole team out there tomorrow. Don't you worry, you'll hardly even know we're there. On that happy note, he clicked off. Candace hung up the phone, plunging the room into darkness. For a moment, she thought about going back to sleep, but she turned on the bedside lamp and got to her feet. Even sleeping in a real bed hadn't helped the stiffness in her hip. She felt older than ever. She had to put her hand to the wall to steady herself as she bent to pick up the laundry basket. A rank smell rose up from it, the ripe stink of mildew and spoiled fish. He should have washed those beans last night. He had no idea how Enoch had slept on that stench all morning. Enoch. He dropped the basket and bolted out the door. The poor cat must be starving. She'd slept till, Jesus, 7.30, and she wasn't sure he'd ever had any breakfast. He threw open the French doors. Enoch! Kitty! Thin, sad meow answered her. It came from across the yard, from the dark shadows beyond the range of the porch light, where the azalea bush had grown. He stepped outside unwillingly, conscious of the crunch of leaves beneath her socked feet. Enoch? The meow again. He only meowed like that when she put him in the car carrier, a sound like a trapped kitten that a big cat ought to not be able to make. He pulled her arms tight around her and walked faster toward the cry. The mildew and fish smell of the blight made her nose and throat hurt. The picking sound of the train tracks was louder than before. She'd almost fell in the pit. It had grown during the day. It was no longer large enough to fit a yardstick inside, but now large enough to fit a grown woman. Big enough to swallow her whole, she'd thought. Big enough to service her grave. Thank goodness she'd cremated Graham. Are you in there, Enoch? He wished she'd brought a flashlight. The sun was fading fast and the depths of the pit were most black. She could make out Enoch's eyes. Two dimes flashing that iridescent red that only Cat's eyes made. He leaned over the edge of the pit and stretched her hand out to him. Here, kitty kitty. 
cold and wet seeped into the knees of her pants, and the smell made her head ache. Her fingertips almost reached the cat. He mewed piteously. He couldn't see what held him from jumping out of the hole, couldn't make out the bottom of the pit at all. Down here, the metallic ticking was louder, as if it were something closer and ticking up speed. He stretched out both hands, despite the precariousness of the position. Come here, sweetie. He mewed again, and she could just feel the muscles of his shoulders against her fingertips. His eyes burned up at her, red bright, but a thread of black flitted across first one eye and then the other. With a rush of fear, Candace threw herself forward and grabbed Enoch under the armpits. He cried out. Ah! He couldn't lift him. Something held him fast. He tugged him left, then right. She screamed horribly. The clicking and pinging grew louder. The sounds came up out of the pit itself, cold and metallic and loud enough to make her ears sting. It wasn't the sound of a train at all, but something else, something as horrible and alien as the stench that went with it. Enoch clawed at her arms and shrieked again. Enoch! She growled and yanked hard. He shrieked and came free and she almost slid into the pit with him. She managed to roll sideways and clutched him to her chest. Cold water dripped off of him and soaked her shirt, but she didn't care. She got to her feet and ran toward the back door, but when she reached the edge of the light, she stopped hard and thrust her hands out in front of her. Black goo ran down her arms and her shirt front, and she held a black-soaked rag of a thing with no legs and no tail and raw red flesh from the shoulders down. Her legs went out from under her and she gagged. The thing in her hands meowed again and then went stiff. A trickle of blood ran out of the dead cat's muzzle. It had gotten him. The whatever it was killing the plants, it had gotten Enoch, and she understood why Michael couldn't recognize it as bacterial or viral. It was something else entirely. Something from beyond the bottom of that hole that she dug. Something from a darkness beyond any place she knew, but had perhaps dreamed of. Something that was coming to swallow them all. She crawled into the house and all the way to the bathroom and ran the shower over herself a long time before she could wriggle out of her filthy clothes. But even after the hot water ran out, she couldn't get the smell of mildew and rotten fish off of her. She wrapped up in a towel and stood shivering at the counter. Where Enoch's claws had scored into her arm, the flesh was black and puckered. In her reflection, her eyes were sunken, dark-ringed. Her mouth tasted of mildew. Much later, she found her way down to the kitchen and stood at the kitchen sink, spitting out dribbles of blood that turned darker as she waited for dawn to show her the black hole in her garden. The edge of the sky showed gray, but shadows still hid most of the backyard. Nothing moved out there. It didn't matter. Even with the door shut, she could hear the pinging and ticking of the thing's imminent arrival. There was something hypnotic about it made her want to throw open the French doors and crawl inside the dark, dank pit that she had dug. Yes, she'd just go out there and pull the darkness over her safe and snug, and wait for Michael Gutierrez and his team of horticulturalists. Then she would show them what lay beyond the bottom of the hole, what the black azalea had reeled in with it as with its roots, and what was chugging along toward them all, right on schedule.
Thank you for joining us for this episode of A Gate Beyond. Join us again in two weeks for more tales of the unusual and otherworldly, gathered from the farthest reaches of the human imagination. Until then, always go beyond. A Gate Beyond is a production of Dark Charm Media. Special effects by zapspot.com. Copyright 2022. All rights reserved.